Welcome to another episode of the Marketer's Edge, a series designed to share senior level marketing perspective about marketer challenges, opportunities, and agency relationships. Our goal is to help marketers and agencies learn from other marketers across different industries. Today we're talking with John Vincent, the Director of Business Development for Apex Automotive, based in South Carolina. John, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's um, just enjoying another day here in the you know changing world of automotive. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk today. Absolutely. Yeah, I was looking forward to it. And I've got a small handful of questions for you. But um, before I do that, can you tell me a little bit about Apex Automotive and what you do for the organization? I'd I'd like our audience to know you know what kind of company it is and and what it is you do. Yeah, so the Apex Automotive Group is based in South Carolina. It's been in business for over 30 years. Um, we've got uh, four dealerships. Uh, one of the Honda stores has been the number one Honda store in the state of South Carolina for the last six years in a row. We're pretty proud of that. Um, uh, so my title is a little misleading. So those who are familiar with automotive might hear the word uh, business development and think that I run a, uh, a BDC call center, uh, which is not the case. <laughs> Um, it's more of the, the true meaning of business development. So whether that be you know uh, marketing, compliance, process improvement, vendor relationships, negotiations, onboarding, you know administration training, analytics, you know even some light accounting and IT work. I mean I fixed a printer this morning. You know so it's, <laughs> do it all. Um, got to do what you got to do, right? You know I, I come from that. Yeah, yeah, I come from that school of thought where you know. Um, sorry, she's paging in a live store. Um, but uh, I come from that school of thought that you know job security is uh, never saying no. That's not my job, you know. Especially in automotive, where uh, if you don't sell cars, you know, so you kind of gotta keep as many uh, responsibilities as you possibly can. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, you've been at uh, Apex for over eight years now, and. What are some of the more pronounced changes you've seen in the auto dealer industry over those eight years? So we didn't really have to go back eight years. I mean, we can go back 12 months, you know, 24 okay. months, right? <laughs> you know, so we, you know, we went from carrying three to 500 new cars on the ground to have to have auxiliary lots because of all the inventory we had to now we've got two to 300 pre-orders where customers have placed an order for a car that they haven't driven yet and we're waiting on a truck or that train we talked about earlier to arrive, you know? Yeah. So um, I'm sure you've heard of the term COVID pricing, you know, it's around the entire, no matter what industry you're in, you know, so that's a very real, um, you know, thing that we're combating and that the customer is combating as well. And, you know, I don't really see an end in sight in the immediate future to that. Um, so if I were to sum up, you know, over an eight year span, um, I would say, you know, it's been an increased adoption of digital advertising across the entire dealership level. Um, a little yeah. bit moving away from the uh, traditional ad spend. Um, I've seen transparency come full circle. You know, so we used to be, you know, showing a uh, a price online for all of our cars with a payment below it. And if you weren't showing a price on a car, you're basically committing like digital suicide essentially because no one's going to want to call a store that's not showing their price to. Now all our, car, our cars say, please call on them, you know. Um, there's also a really big push for uh, digital retailing. Um, so simply put, if you're not an automotive, uh, digital retailing is like completing as much as the transaction online as you can. 
Um, good example of that is a lot of the OEMs, you go to their major websites, they'll say like start the buying process now on like the main website for the OEM. So right. that's been a big push. Um, and that's, in my opinion, come more from the OEM and people in the automotive space than actually right. from the customer. It's okay. Okay. So, and it, it, I'm, I'm curious as you look forward over the next, you know, three, five, ten years, what what do you think will look different in the industry? Um, so this is where I kind of got to put my uh, compliance hat on and disclaim everything. You know, as you know, this is my own opinion. It doesn't represent Apex Automotive Group or any manufacturer we might represent. Yep. Um, you know, it's okay. just really my conjecture. So, uh, <laughs> that sound official enough? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, like, what I envision, <laughs> what I envision, and say the next decade is going to be a big push by the major OEMs for a more um, direct-to-consumer sales model. Okay. Um, you can see it now with all the pre-orders we're doing um, as part of our business. Uh, you know, we're only carrying a handful of models. The customer comes and drives a few, then places an order for the exact car they want. Um, you know, state franchise laws are our big, their biggest uh, obstacle the OEM has to have and our biggest lifeline here as a dealership. Got it. Um, but, you know, with EVs being the next big major push, I think you're going to see um, dealers carry less inventory and be less of a sales center and more of an education center for the consumer. Educating them about electric vehicles, educating them about the car, less of a sales pitch. Um, and then dealers are going to have to do a big shift towards fixed ops. That's parts and service, the back end of the house, um, because, you know, a customer is not going to take their Tesla that has a 1,000-watt motor on, e on each hub and do a brake job. You can do right. that on a Honda Civic. You're not doing that on a car, right? So you've got to come to this dealer for service, you know? So that's going to be a big shift for us. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, very very interesting and, and, and really, you know, I don't mean you, when I say you have the pandemic to thank for it, but really would imagine the pandemic certainly uh, accelerated that move. Yeah, correct. You know, I, I would say that, you know, we went from before we had like a, a you know, a slight lockdown uh, earlier in 2019, 2020, we never would have thought of going to the customer's house, picking up their car, bringing it to get service and giving it back to them. You know? right. But the automotive world had to... We had to adapt, so um, you know that's one thing car dealers have is they can. Uh, they're pretty good at adapting to whatever challenges come up. You know, um, right? They're pretty maneuverable. Interesting. I'm I'm curious uh, as you like if you uh, you know look at other countries and how they're set up in terms of car sales. Is is the U.S. unique in having sort of that dealer? you know, uh, uh, set up or, or other countries set up where it, it is more direct to consumer or, or is what we do pretty common across the globe? I can't speak for across the globe. I can just, my own experience, the company I worked for before, um, I had clients that were in Brazil, actually okay. Rio, which is a very densely populated um, city. And uh, I had some Fiat dealers, and that's how Fiat did it. You know, they had a, you know, it would look more like an outlet at your mall. That was your dealership. And then they would keep, you know, a couple cars in stock. You would drive which one you want, and then um, they would keep all the cars inside of a shipping container out at a port. So they don't have to pay import tax. Until you bought the car, then they'd take it off the ship and bring it to you. 
Hmm. You know, so versus these stores that have like double decker dealerships with you know thousands of cars on the lot. Right. Um, right. It's a yeah, interesting. You know, it's, it's a little it's bit different, so, but the, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say I would, it's a lot more. Um, you know, you have to have a lot of uh, capital in order to start a successful dealership down right. you know in the United States. Now there's a lot right. of. Uh, you know the blue sky price for dealerships right now is through the roof. You know, if you don't have a hundred million, you can't buy a store. You know, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious how uh, have companies like Carvana affected the uh, dealership business? Um, so uh, I'll try and be cordial about Carvana. Uh, they're kind of like a four letter <laughs> word in our store. Um, so uh, to those who are like outside of the industry, you would think that like Carvana's taken over the world. Um, right. But if you look at their financials compared to a regular store, they're not really a for-profit business. <laughs> um, okay. You know, their stock price is down 90% in the last 12 months. But what they did do is uh, they made us as car dealerships um, just tighten up our processes. We can't be loose. We can't be lax with the way that we present our cars online because um, we're competing with like the Amazon of the Amazon experience for buying a car versus a traditional sales model. Right. So you got to have um, updated technology on your site to make that process of getting a trade in or financing that needs to be up to snuff to compete with Carvana. But then um, where Carvana falls short is they forgot about all the complexities that come to running a dealership. So the logistics, financing, titling, registration, holding gross on a trade-in, reselling that trade-in. So it goes on and on, and you're seeing them struggle with that um, when it comes to scale. You know, so. But all that being yeah. said, yeah, Carvana definitely made a, everybody have to tighten up their sales process to meet that customer expectation. Oh, that's cool. Well, good for them, right? Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, I noticed uh, I was looking at, at LinkedIn and I noticed that you commented on a post uh, that centered on what was called modern retail marketing. And, and in the response that you wrote, you asked um, when one thought the shift to modern retail marketing would reach an inflection point and be adopted. Um, can you just talk a little bit about this topic of modern retail marketing and, and, and what it all means? Yeah, so um, I'm not the one that came up with that term, so I can't take credit for it. So okay. um, that would be Brian Pash. I'm going to uh, define it the way I mean it to me. And so like, I'm, the way that it's been presented to me um, in my understanding of it is a complete overhaul of basically your approach to the road of the, to the sale, you know, both in store and online. So for example, like removing traditional lead forms on your site to just have someone do a direct video chat with the customer versus give us your info, we'll call you back. Um, you know, and then a big one is having a single point of contact for buying the car. Um, versus having a sales agent, a sales manager, an F&I manager. Um, you know, you're just moving to, you just deal with one guy. He pencils your deal, he does all your financing, he calls the banks, and you just check off a couple boxes on an iPad, and you just bought a car. Um, you know, in theory, that all sounds well and good, but in my opinion, you know, you'd be missing, again, just my opinion, you'd be missing a lot of potential sales and profit due to that, um, both on the front end and back end of that sale. Um, because 
you know, it's a very complex process to buy a car. People like to think it's simple, but it's not. Um, so what I mean by inflection point is when are you going to see dealers drop that traditional sales model and move to that modern one because so many other people around their town are doing that. Um, okay. so, so that was my question in the post, you know. Yeah. So you, so you, are, you are seeing that happen among some dealers. Um, not in um, a way that affects how we would change our sales model. Got it. Um, okay. You know, so that was my question in that post. It was like, you know, in the last eight years I've been in a store, and I mean, this is not exaggerating, I would say maybe one out of every hundred sales agents could actually do that entire sales process start okay. to finish. Got it. Um, you know, unless you want to hire order takers and turn your store into like you know, an AT&T store or, or a Mac store, you know, right. you're basically just taking an order, the customer t checks off a couple boxes, you know, versus a, you know, a well-run traditional store that's going to have a sales agent that's very knowledgeable about their product, they know the road to the sale, the finance manager is going to be on the phone with banks, talk, trying to get you the best possible rate, come up with a custom warranty that fits your solution, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's not as easy as like buying a t-shirt off of Amazon, you know. Right. Right. It's tough. Yeah. 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 Definitely see the benefit um, to some degree both ways. But, uh, you know, having that um, finance guy, like you said, finding you the best deal, knowing the warranties inside and out, you know, just being able to um, mm -hmm. provide that benefit to the customer is, is solid and asking a sales agent to carry that load uh, not only is distracting in that they, you know, aren't able to sell as much because they're sort of carrying all that stuff forward, you know, or just maybe not doing it right. as well. So that's, that's, that's kind of interesting. And it'd be interesting just your, your perspective around kind of where you think the industry is going and how that ultimately intersects with modern retail marketing. Um, you know, don't, I don't have a, a strong opinion one way or another, but uh, it will be interesting to see how those two things uh, play out. So you, you also asked yeah. a question in the same response, um, will the net to gross mindset <clears throat> need to change in order for mass adoption to take place? You said, I'm leaning towards yes. and. So one of you could just speak to this and tell our listeners what, what this all means. Yeah. Um, so I'll explain that like the, when I say the net to gross mindset, I'll just break it down, you know, simply is the net to gross is the amount or the percentage of profit you make, how much net profit you make off of how much gross profit you made off of that one transaction, whether okay. it's sales, service, F&I, parts, doesn't matter. So you have two different mindsets there. You have some dealers that are volume-based, where they're just turning and burning, selling as many cars as they possibly can at a lower profit. Um, they got massive advertising budgets. They've got you know all the great technology, agencies, in-house marketing. They have a Taj Mahal for a dealership. Um, mm -hmm. It's they're glorious, right? Um, so they sell 500 cars a month at 2,500 per copy, and then um, make about you know say you know, 25% net to gross because they have all this overhead. Mm -hmm. um, then you have the other uh, model, which is you got dealers kind of like ours that are, we're going to run lean. 
Um, we're going to try and keep ex expenses at a minimum if we possibly can. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for stores to run over five thousand uh, dollars, you know, per unit. Um, and if you do that, couple that with minimum ad spend, keeping overhead low, a forty-five percent net to gross is not uncommon. Hmm. Um, so if you crunch those two numbers, that store that sold one hundred and fifty cars made more money. And at the end of the day, it's all about you know making money for your stock. Whether it doesn't matter what company you're in, whether it's your stockholders or the owner of your company, it's mm -hmm. that's what we're here to do. So. Um, but again, that's just my opinion. So to answer that question is you would have to kind of give up that, you know, do less with more, I mean, do more with less mindset um, to then move to that more order taking volume based model, which not every store is set up to do, which you and I discussed, you know, um, right. not every salesperson can do that. Um, yeah. So it's a. Uh, I think that'll come to a head at some point. Got it. Got it. So that net to gross sort of equation uh, somehow, uh, well, does sort of have some interplay with a move to modern retail marketing. Um, yeah. So again, I mean, yes. there's there's a there's an intersection between where this industry potentially is going how it's it's managed the sale you know from start to finish is managed and then how uh that impacts sort of the whole net to gross um model uh within within a dealership so um it, it's all it's all yeah, and, and i'm not saying that the, i'm not saying you can't have both i just haven't yeah. seen it you know right so i'm not saying that you know i'm if you would have talked to me three years ago and said things would be going the way they are today, I'd say you're crazy. So yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it can't happen. That's right. That's just my own take on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. No, it's 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 really fascinating because as a consumer, you, you know, you don't really think about any of this stuff. You go into the dealership and you look at some cars, or you go online and you look at some cars and you figure out which one you want, and uh, and then you just sort of work your way through the process of of financing that car so this is just this is really interesting to sort of peel it back and and see you know how the industries had to change and how it potentially will change go you know going forward um so it looks like uh you're personally leading you know virtually all the marketing activities for apex do you curious do you have an agency that helps support that effort and uh if so, what kind of things are you know they doing that that most effectively helps you? Um, so we don't have an agency. Um, if you think of the Apex Automotive Marketing as a football team, I'm like the quarterback, the head coach, um, the lineman. But I also have some vendors that serve as my assistant coaches. Let's say because I can't run SEO for four stores. I can't run the paid search campaigns for all four stores, so right. I vet multiple different vendors um, to handle that for me, um, and then hold them accountable. Um, you know, we have we also have one guy. He's been with the store for thirty years, and he builds like one-off logos because I don't have a digital arts degree. I'm okay. fairly decent in it, Microsoft Paint though. Um, but <laughs> he builds um, you know our commercials and stuff. But the rest of it, I'm doing it all in house. Um, I'll be the first to admit that I'm sure that there's agencies out there that could, you know, do twice as good as I possibly could, but it comes down to the being cost effective for the group. Sure. And if we can achieve nearly the same result, um, 
without the added expense, it's um, that just makes sense for us. Okay. So you said you're you're going outside for SEO. Are there other things that you go outside to uh, uh, to use to support your marketing yeah. efforts? Yeah, sometimes you have to do that for uh, co-op, which comes from the manufacturer. So they will okay. uh, co-op ad dollars for you, and they have a list of pre-approved vendors, right? So if I don't use those pre-approved vendors, I'm not going to get co-op dollars back, which then cuts down my expense, right? So the money I would have saved if I would have done it myself doesn't outweigh the money we're going to get back if we get a one-to-one -one match for that ad spend, right? Yep, makes sense. Um, and so just uh, one last question. You said you aren't using agencies, but if an agency was trying to knock down your door and attempting to win you know, some business from you, what, what advice would you give that agency? Mm -hmm. I would say let's leave the, all the fluff at the door. Um, <laughs> if when you're speaking with someone like myself, um, you know, I want to talk about the minutia. I don't need the hundred slide presentation about why to use you. You know, I I don't want the sizzle. I don't even want the steak, to be honest. I want to talk to the <laughs> farmer that raised the cow, right? Like that's – so if there's an agency that's coming in there, you don't ever tell me that like, hey, I got to get back to you on that one. Red flag. You know, because I as one person shouldn't know more than an entire agency about something, right? right. So that's my um, – that's my take there. Okay. And, and any advice you'd give to a marketer thinking about bringing a new agency on board? Um, yeah, I would say, you know, a lot of things you're going to see is it's going to be hype, which they're going to have to do in order to position themselves in a competitive marketplace. So you've got to mm -hmm. look past that. Um, you know, you got to use common business sense. Like, does this pass the sniff test? Like, is this agency say they're going to guarantee an additional 50 sales? Or are they going to attribute that because they sent out uh, half a million email blasts and ran a one million impression display ad? Now they're saying they influenced those sales. Like, if, mm -hmm. if that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense, it doesn't pass that sniff test. So really look for agencies that are going to focus on just incremental sales. Um, if they're not providing you that incremental sale, then um, you're basically spending money to sell cards that you would have sold yourself. So, yeah. Well, great. John, listen, really appreciate uh, the, the time that you've given me today. Um, it's been uh, you know, great getting to know the auto dealership industry in a way that I'm sure most of our listeners you know, don't know about. And it's just, you guys are, are you know, uh, in the middle of some interesting times. And I'm sure that, you know, as you said, as uh, well, I know that's not the opinion of Apex, it's sort of your perspective, uh, you know, yeah. some interesting perspective relative to where things might go, uh, you know, as we look forward. And so I'm sure, um, you know, uh, forward-thinking, sort of consumer-centric uh, dealerships that, you know, recognize sort of where they can bring value and where they can't, you know, going to be those dealerships that ultimately um, survive. And I'm, I'm sure there will be, uh, and I don't know if you're seeing it or not, but, you know, I'm sure there will be some dealerships that, uh, you know, just can't muscle their way through uh, through all of these changes. 
Yeah, and you're seeing a lot of a lot of the big players like Sonic Automotive, Lithia, you know, Group One. You're seeing them buy up a lot of the smaller stores. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, like dealer acquisition, I think is at an all-time high. Don't quote me on it, but I want to say it's it's right up there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the larger groups are getting larger. And yep. Yeah. yeah. Smaller independents like us, you know, we just got to stay nimble. Um, right. Like we, like we talked about. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, listen, John, thank you so much for making the time today. And um, yeah, wish you uh, all the best through the balance of the week and hope you have a, a great weekend. All right, you as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, thanks a lot.